Thank you for tuning in to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. We're a church in Lakewood, Washington, and whether you're listening from around the corner or from around the world, we're glad that you're here. We hope this sermon equips you to be the Christian the world needs today. If you'd like to learn more about us, head on over to lakewoodgrace.com. And now, for this week's sermon. Good morning, friends, and happy Mother's Day to the mothers. Hey, uh, we continue now in our, our Luke passage. So I want you to notice something that Luke records, right? The ministry of Jesus begins with him in chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's how Luke records Jesus beginning his ministry, full of the Holy Spirit. Our, t- our text today, right? I'm going to read it right now. It's, it's Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. So hear now the word of the Lord to you and to me. As we started with verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, led into the Jordan and was tempted. Now we go to our text today. Jesus returned to Galilee. Look, in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went up to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, remember, right? We started chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness to be tempted in our scripture today. Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, went to synagogue, right? And so Jesus, here he is, Full of the Holy Spirit. Notice what happens to Jesus when he is full of the Holy Spirit. When you think of somebody being full of the Holy Spirit, you might think of somebody who has kind of everything going their way, right? Maybe God is doing something powerful through them. Maybe they seem glowy or whatever, right? But look what happened to Jesus when he was full of the Holy Spirit. Look, he was tested. He was rejected. 
Here's a Holy Spirit reality check. We're going to begin with this today. Listen, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, equal in substance to the Father and to the Son. The Holy Spirit is who we receive in our hearts when we say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. It is God living in us. Listen, never promises to give us the warm fuzzies or make life easy. Look at this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. This is God walking on earth. Demonstrating perfect and complete love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That whole list that Paul wrote about called the fruit of the Spirit. That guy, full of the Holy Spirit, was tempted and rejected. Wouldn't the Spirit, we think, wouldn't the Spirit protect us from temptation, testing, and rejection? Wouldn't it be nice if that's how it worked? Wouldn't the Spirit intervene and remove us from those things? Or, listen to this, or would the Spirit strengthen our character through these things? Paul talked about what we know as the fruit of the Spirit, right? And that's that list. Paul writes, writes about this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But here's the thing about fruit. Fruit doesn't just appear out of nowhere, right? Fruit begins from a seed that's planted in the dirt. It's messy. It germinates in the dirt. It needs water. It needs light. And if it's being cared for by a good gardener, you see that fruit will grow. And it's a process. And as much as we would like fruit to appear out of nowhere, the reality is, is that something good and beautiful and nourishing has to be cultivated. And it starts in the dirt. Right? That whole list from love to self-control and everything else that the Spirit brings into our lives really cultivates when things are dirty. So we look at that list and we go, yeah, love is the first one. I want to be more loving, right? But here's the thing. It's easy to love lovely people, but that love doesn't begin to grow. That fruit of the Spirit doesn't get to germinate and develop until we're put in a position where we have to love an unlovely person right? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we said, God, give me more joy in my life, and God goes, ding, and all of a sudden you're shiny and happy all the time, and you've got joy all throughout your life, right? No, no, no. You see, joy shines brightest when things are dirty, when things are dark. God, wouldn't it be great if you just, if you just gave me more peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and wouldn't it be great if God heard that prayer, and he went, ding, 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 there you go. You got all of these things, and for good measure, Christian, the warm fuzzies, right? But, but what we know, and you know this, fruit begins in the dirt, and it's easy to love lovely people, but love doesn't increase until the Spirit gives you an opportunity to love a dirty person. Peace doesn't increase until God puts you in a position where you have to choose to be a peacemaker, right? Patience. God doesn't just go, zing, you've got patience. No, he gives you kids, Right? Or spouses. Look, let's see if your kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, let's see if those things grow when life is easy. And the truth is they don't. They happen when you are facing life's tests. Character is formed when you face rejection 
And so, yes, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he fasted and he became tired and exhausted and then he was tempted by the devil. What kind of Messiah is Jesus going to be? We don't know until he's tested, right? Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and was rejected. How is Jesus going to handle rejection at the cross if he can't even handle it in Nazareth? Listen, listen, take this home with you. Listen, when life is dirty, when life is dirty, and we hit those low moments, the Holy Spirit is growing something beautiful in you that will bear fruit later. Count on it. Now, in the, in the, in the case of our text today, Jesus was rejected in his hometown among his people. They wanted to kill him, and we'll get into why they wanted to do that. But Christians, listen, understand something. If you start to submit to God's truth, and you start to obey God's word, and you say, Jesus, you are my Lord, and you're committed to following Jesus, and you're open to the Holy Spirit doing holy things, moving in your life, your culture will reject that. You will be rejected in one way or another. But Luke, you see, Luke offers us something that will strengthen and sustain us and encourage us. And this is the pattern that kept Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus kept, and it's a pattern that we all should keep as well. Look at verse 16. He went up to Nazareth, where, is he, where he had been brought up, and on Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. What comes next? As was his custom. He went into the synagogue as was his custom. That ought to be our custom too, right? The one to whom all worship do. Think about Jesus, right? The one, the center of our worship, right? The one who is the apex of the entire Old Testament. Emmanuel, God with us. The one who said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. That guy went to worship every single week. It was his custom. So now imagine, imagine this. Imagine the word incarnate walking into a synagogue to worship. Imagine Jesus, the focus of all of this, the law and the prophet being read in the synagogue, all of history pointing to Jesus, and he's there. Imagine Jesus sitting there and hearing a reading from one of the prophets and then the preacher got it all wrong. Imagine that, right? Imagine Jesus singing a psalm next to the guy who didn't know the words and who couldn't carry a tune. Imagine Jesus walking into church one day into synagogue and he wasn't greeted warmly at the door or somebody told him he was in his seat. Imagine Jesus going to worship week after week after week and he never found a synagogue that got it quite right. Imagine Jesus, the aim of all worship, worshiping with flawed people and their flawed worship. Imagine Jesus saying something like, imagine this, imagine Jesus going into a synagogue and saying, I'm just not being fed here. Imagine Jesus walking into a synagogue and saying, I don't feel like I'm getting my needs met here. Jesus went to synagogue. He worshiped every week, as was his custom. The one person who it was all about didn't make church about him. 
And if Jesus attended an imperfect worship service regularly, then there's no reason why we can't do it as well. And I want to stop there, and I just want to say thank you for being here today. It matters that you are here today. It matters that you show up to worship. If you came with your mom because you wanted to make mom happy, thank you for being here. You did it right. Now come back next week. Would you believe we do this every week? We want it to be your custom. Now on this particular day, hometown kid comes back to worship. And he stood up to read the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. It was handed to him. And he took the podium and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. And this is loaded, so pay attention. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, said Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. We're going to go through what he just said there. But I want to start here with the last line, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, what he was referring to is what's called jubilee. Now, if you're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, read Leviticus. Leviticus points directly to Jesus, right? And so he takes the audience, right, not only from Isaiah, But all the way back to Leviticus, he's talking about the year of the Lord's favor. He's talking about Jubilee. And every seven years, the Israelites gave the land a rest. Every seven years. And they couldn't farm it. They just had to to harvest only what grew naturally, right? And And the point was to give everybody a rest, even the land. Now, after the seventh Sabbath rest of the land, 49 years, the year of Jubilee was announced. And the year of Jubilee was a hard reset for the whole culture, for the land, for the people. All debts were erased. Listen to that. All debts were erased. Any land that was gained through those 49 years was given back to the original owners. It was a a means to keep uh, people equal. Slaves were set free. And then the land had to rest for a full year. And it was a hard, holy reset. But that started on what was called the Day of Atonement. Now, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would, he would sacrifice a bull offering to atone for the sins of him and his family. And after he was cleared, he, he sacrificed a ram as a burnt offering to the Lord. And after all those sacrifices and blood is everywhere, two goats were then brought into his presence. And then he cast lots over the goat, and the goat that got the short stick was sacrificed. And the goat that wasn't sacrificed, you see the high priest would place his hands on that goat. And you know what it's called? It's called the scapegoat. And he would symbolically transfer all the uncleanliness, all the dirt, everything that's unclean, all the sins onto that goat. And then that goat would be set free in the wilderness. Symbolizing the separation of sin and everything that's unclean from God's people. And so here's here's his last line in this prophecy. I came to proclaim the Lord's favor. I came to announce a year of Jubilee. I, I came to announce that sins 
are released. Sins are forgiven. The debt has been paid. We stand before God clean and holy. But before he said that, he said, listen, I've got good news to the poor. I've got good news to folks who don't have a hope in this world. You can be penniless all your life, but you've got a riches beyond all imagination there in glory later. Everyone who is in bondage to sin is offered freedom in Christ. The spiritually blind are given a new way of seeing the world. Those oppressed by injustice and poverty and corruption find freedom in Jesus. And every person who receives Jesus as Lord stands before God forgiven and free. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And Luke said the eyes of everyone were, were fastened on him. And as he sat down, because they didn't stand up to preach. You read the scroll, and then it was customary for the person who was going to expound on that to sit down. So he sits down and he said, today, can you imagine this? Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And there they are in this little synagogue. And in their midst, in their midst, is the Savior that they've been waiting for. Reading about. Hoping for. For centuries, this guy who will restore the chasm between a holy God and sinful humanity, in their midst is wonderful God, Almighty Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, sitting right there. God in the flesh, who before coming to synagogue in Nazareth had been going to Capernaum. The other synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, record Jesus doing a lot of things in Capernaum. That's why Luke said word got out about Jesus, right? People were excited that he was there. And if you look at what he was doing in Capernaum, he's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. A girl died and Jesus raised her to life. There was a storm on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was out there and he said, stop, and the storm just stopped. That guy is there in their presence. And he read this scroll from Isaiah and he told them, it's done. I'm here. There's good news. I am the sacrifice. I am the high priest. And I will cancel the debt of sin to bring before the Father a sacrifice that you cannot offer. That guy in their midst. And look what they said next. Isn't that Joseph's son? Oh. Listen. We get into real trouble when we reduce Jesus to something less than who he is. Everybody agrees that Jesus lived. Every religion acknowledges Jesus. But who he is, God's son, king of kings, lord of lords, savior, is found right here. And if we reduce him to just a good teacher or a model citizen or a prophet or a moral standard, if he's anything less than Lord, you're in some real trouble. Joseph's son, they said. Now Jesus knowing these folks because he grew up with them. So he already knows what they're what they're, gonna, what they're thinking. He knows where they're going to take the conversation. Maybe he, he hears people murmuring and, and never one really to shy away from an opportunity to teach and impart truth. Jesus goes on. He said, surely, 
Surely you folks are going to quote this, prof- this prophecy to me. Surely you guys are going to quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And then you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And I have to admit that if I was in that synagogue that day, I would say, Jesus, I heard you did all kinds of things. Could you just do one of them? Because I, I remember you growing up, Jesus, and, and you and I aren't that different, except you seem to do everything right. But I remember, like, I know your family, Jesus. So could you just make me feel better? In the fellowship hall, we've got water. Could you turn that into wine? Jesus, I heard you did some amazing things. Could you prove yourself? Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Now let's pause here for a second. So imagine, imagine something with me, right? Imagine something. I'm a hometown kid. I grew up in Lakewood, okay? Heather and I got married at Little Church on the Prairie, and then we went away. We did things. We didn't do things like, you know, Jesus did in Capernaum, but then we came back. And now here I am today. I preached this morning at Little Church on the Prairie, the church I grew up in, right? And I can tell you, I, every vacation Bible school, I was out every window. Every sermon, I was either sitting in the back with my friend Weston playing on his Game Boy, or we were out at the donut shop, right? But here we came back. Here we came back. So what would I have to do? What would, what would hometown boy have to do? What would I have to say that would be such a foul that you people, right? This, 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 this church and the people over at Little Church on the Prairie, what would I have to say for everybody to just go nuts and say, we're killing that kid? Because that's what happened here. What's so upsetting about what Jesus said? Right? The synagogue, it's full of Jews, right? God's chosen people, if you will, and they don't seem too excited to have God incarnate among them who has proclaimed good news to the poor, who has proclaimed freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind. It's no big deal, I guess, to set the oppressed free. And the guy who's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that guy who just fulfilled all of those things is just Joseph's son. You see, the problem is, is that's not a heart that is set to receive Jesus as Lord. So he goes, Folks, I'm going to tell you two stories. And this is back in First and Second Kings. And they would have all known Elijah and Elisha. They would have known this. And Jesus said, let me show you what a heart that is not willing to receive the Lord looks like. It looks like you folks. Let me show you a heart that is set to receive the Lord. It looks like the widow at Zarephath. Not a Jew. A pagan Gentile. And there were lots of Jewish widows who were starving at the time. This Gentile widow was so poor and exhausted. Listen, she was so poor and exhausted. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? That's when you say the poor. The gentle, Gentile widow was so poor and exhausted that when Elijah met her, she was gathering wood to make a fire 
so that she can make one last meal for her and her son before they die. That's how bad the famine was. And a lot of Jewish widows had the same experience, and a lot of Jewish widows died, yet this one lived. God saved this one. Why? Because when Elijah encountered this Gentile pagan woman who was about to bake her last meal for her and her son and then die, Elijah, read about it in 1 Kings, he goes, can you make me something too? The nerve. This poor lady's just trying to make a last meal, and Elijah goes, can you make something for me too? And here's what the woman does in her poverty. Here's what she does in her hunger. Here's what she does in the state where she is poor physically, emotionally, spiritually. She goes, I don't get it, but yes. A miracle took place. And all these Jewish widows were dying, but this one Gentile was saved. Because in her poverty of spirit, she said yes. That's what a heart set to receive the Lord looks like. And then he said, let me show you another heart that's willing to receive the Lord. Let me show you another heart that's different than your heart. It looks like a guy named Naaman, the Syrian. Remember, remember the Syrians? Bad people. Naaman was actually the commander of the Syrian army that was besieging Israel at the time. Naaman had leprosy. And so did a lot of Jews, so did a lot of God's people. Yet the Lord healed Naaman after Naaman, who had nowhere else to go in his poverty of spirit. He had nowhere else to turn to. He trusted the Lord to heal him. Listen, both outsiders, the women, the widow, and Naaman, both of those folks who were poor turned to the Lord while many Jews continued in their idolatry. And by telling these stories to Jesus, by Jesus telling these stories, he was saying to his people, his hometown folk, listen, I know exactly who you are in this story. And they were saying things like, isn't this just Joseph's son? You can't tell us who we are, Jesus. You can't tell me the condition of my heart, Jesus. Jesus, I go to church every Sunday, Jesus. I live a good life, Jesus. I sing songs, Jesus. Who are you to imply that I'm not poor in spirit, Jesus? I'm a good person, Jesus. Sure, I, I sin now and then, but look, I'm not oppressing anybody in my sin. But you, look, Joseph's son is telling me that I, I got to be like the widow who's about to die and I got to be a, like the Syrian commander in order to receive him. You're just Joseph's son, Jesus. Listen, I'm good the way I am, Jesus. I like my life the way I am, Jesus. And I don't see the need for repentance or anything like that to turn to you. And guess what? Up to the brow of the hill we go. John the Baptist prepared the people by calling them to repentance. Remember that? That's how we opened our series on Luke, was a, was, was a look at John the Baptist. And John the Baptist called the people to prepare their hearts for the Savior by turning from their wicked ways and turning to God. That's what repentance is. I'm living my life this way. John said, stop doing that. Repent. This is what repentance means. It means to turn that way, right? So make sure you don't, you don't miss who it is you're turning to, right? John the Baptist's ministry, people walked miles into the wilderness, the desert, to hear a guy talk about repentance, to be called brood of vipers. 
But make sure you don't miss who it is that you're turning to. You are turning to the one who has good news for those who are at the end of their rope with no other hope in this world. And if that's you, there's good news. You are turning to the only one who can set you free from the bondage of sin. You are turning to truth. And once you experience truth, you can't help but see the world in a completely different way. You are turning to the one who will set free those who have been beaten down and harmed by the sin of someone else. You are turning to the one who has forgiven sin and paid the debt, the one in whom we find our true rest. So which one is it? Are you fine the way you are? And you'd like to see this Jesus jump off a cliff? Or are you willing to acknowledge your poverty of spirit and receive him as Lord of lords, King of kings? And that's the question we wrestle with today. So I'm going to leave us with this. Just a quick recap, right? Listen, this all happened when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Let's do a Holy Spirit reality check. We kind of think that it just gives us the warm fuzzies or everything's going to go our way. Look, when, when Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he was tested and he was rejected. But listen, the Holy Spirit is growing something beautiful in you that will bear fruit later. You have to trust in that. God does not waste an opportunity, for better or worse, to grow us into his image. Okay? Worship is not optional. It is customary for the Christian. Thank you for being here today. It matters. And if Jesus is anything less than King of kings and Lord of lords, then there's a problem that you are going to have to account for later. And I want to end with this. Verse 30. I love this. But he walked. So they drove him up to this Mount Precipice. And when we go to Israel, right, and we've got pictures of it. I have pictures of it in my phone I can show you. It's quite a ways away from Nazareth. Right? Even by bus today, it's like 15 or 20 minutes. And so they had to have left the synagogue and in their fury, right, push Jesus these miles and miles and miles up to the top of this hill. You have to choose to stay mad to do that, by the way, right? So they get him up to the top and all it would have taken, all it would have taken, we've been to this place, all it would have taken is for somebody to just go push. And Jesus is out of their lives forever. But the text says something incredible, right? The text says this. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And I've wondered about that. What did Jesus have to do? Did he do like some sort of like, um, we were talking about this at staff, like maybe he did one of those like Jedi tricks like this, right? Where he just, you know, parted, he didn't part the Red Sea this time. He just parted the crowd. And and I don't think that's what happened at all, right? Right? It wasn't his time, you see. His time was the cross. His time was Easter Sunday. His time 
was not to be taken from him. And this leads us to a great theological truth, and I, t- I hope you take comfort in this. Listen, there is not a person alive, there is no action done that is capable of thwarting God's plan. God is in charge. And there's nothing you or I can do that would alter God's plan. When it's time, it's according to God's time, not yours or mine. And for Jesus, it wasn't his time to die. We don't force God's hand. God moves according to his divine will. And our job, our response, is to surrender and say, yes, Lord, in my poverty of spirit, I receive you as Lord. If you haven't made that decision, today's your day. If you haven't stood before the Lord and said, yeah, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I need you to come into my life. If you make that decision today, welcome home. If you've done that, let one of us know, because you don't do this alone. You're part of the church now. And for the rest of us, may we be reminded of God's sovereignty, of his goodness, and that Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. Let's, join, let's end with a prayer. God, we thank you for your word. Convict our hearts, Lord. And Father, I will, I will be the first to admit, Lord, that I would rather, sometimes I would rather accompany you, Lord, to that high place and just nudge you off because you don't want all of, you, you don't want just part of my life, Lord. You want all of my life. And sometimes, God, I, I kind of want to just shut you off to that. But Lord, I pray that your word today convicts us to truly bow before you, Father, and have the heart setting where we receive you as you are. And so help us, God. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. We trust you and we love you when we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and then head on over to lakewoodgrace.com slash connect where you'll find a link to contact us or you can fill out a communication card. Have a wonderful week. God bless.